Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now, here's today's message. When defeat is glaring at you, but your cause is worth it, so you grit your teeth and charge, that's valor. Valor is more than mere courage. It's the unyielding spirit that rises when faith meets adversity. It's a quality seen in the stories of David, Esther, and countless others, but also shows up in our everyday lives, in any one of us. It doesn't require armor made of steel or the rocket's red glare. It's seeing something that needs doing, a person who needs help, and taking that first step. Valor is revealed in acts of selflessness, in hands that reach out to lift others up, and in hearts that forgive and heal. It's the reflection of Christ's love in our lives, manifesting as strength that changes the world bit by bit. A soldier in battle, a nurse in an ER, a Christian speaking life to a stranger. That is Valor. Valor. It's going to be a good series. There's a lot of acts of Valor, stories of Valor. In Scripture, we're going to bring those to light. had a question to ask me this week. Where does anti-Semitism come from? In the light of our world's activities today, I thought I'd try to answer that. In short, it's this. Satan hates what God loves. I know some things that God loves. He loves children. He loves Israel. He loves the church. I'm going to talk about a couple of those. Especially when it comes to children. I, it's, it's something that's been, I've preached on quite a bit. It's like, we've got to protect the innocence of children. This is, the guys were talking, Jesus' disciples, they were talking. Who's the greatest among them? And Jesus takes a child, places among the the guys. And he, and he says, unless you become like a little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's a pretty tall order. What does it become, mean to become like little children? Therefore, whoever takes this lowly position as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble who believe in me, it would be better for him to have a large millstone wrapped around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. I think, I think Jesus is making a point here. I think children matter to God. And I think any time you see that, that something is highlighted or featured that God loves, you're going to see an attack. That's what Satan hates. I think Israel is another one of those. I think we're seeing that played out in, in, our, in our day. Zechariah 2.8 says this, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what that means. When you see Lord of hosts, he's, he's basically saying, Lord of heaven's armies. After his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. He's speaking of Israel here. This is Zechariah. This is Old Testament. Whoever touches you, 
touches the apple of his eye. The apple means it's the center. It's like the, it's like the pupil, the, the center of his eye. God's, the center of God's eye is over Israel. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12. I've read this before. I'm going to read it again, but this gives you an idea. So as you're, as you're watching the news today, you're going to hear all kinds of things. And I'll just, I just want to give the biblical lens of the things, give you some kind of a filter for you to try to look at what's going on in Israel today. Here's what, here's the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, this Abram was a, a guy in the Ur of Chaldees. That's probably over kind of by Kuwait. And God went over and found this guy, Abram. He must have been a man, the character of the man. There's something about him that he said, all right, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to have you many, many descendants. This is the guy we know today as Abraham. He was named Abram at that time. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make for you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. This is the part I want you to listen to. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all your families of the earth, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is why, that's why Israel is the epicenter. He's like, what's the big deal about this? It's the epicenter. It's, he's the ap- uh, Israel's the apple of God's eye. They are chosen. I, I've told this to people too. It's like, it does not mean they're righteous. It doesn't mean they do everything right. It means they are chosen of God. And God says, listen, he's going to purify them. He scattered them in AD 70 to the four winds. He's bringing them back. Ezekiel said that he'd bring them back. He said, you bring him back, he's going to, you're going to make the land prosperous, it makes it's going to grow. I'll read this passage to you, Ezekiel chapter 36, 22 through 23. This is, this, if you want to follow along in this, it's, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. I want you to get this next part, because a lot of times you think, well, Israel must be more righteous than, no, they're chosen. And the reason that God is preserving them, the reason that they're the apple of his eye is because he wrote his name at the bottom of this contract between Israel and himself. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully. This explains a lot of things if you can just grasp this, this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come, which you came. In other words, they weren't righteous even when they were scattered. That's what he's saying. You profane my name, but I'm going to make, bring you back into the land, not for your sake, but for my name's sake, because thus saith the Lord. He put his name on them. That's why. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Then through you, I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God is showing the world of his greatness through the presence of Israel. That's what what these things are saying. 
You cannot, you can't deny the fact that they have the same Hebrew language. They've got their land. They got their language. They got a people group. There's this, this nationality. They got the same religion. They had, they had the same things back in Moses's day. They're still celebrating the same festivals. And God has preserved them. It's the most six million, nine million. I don't know how many are in the land these days. I think it's around seven. There's about six million Jews in, in, I think, in New York. Maybe one block in New York. No, there's a bunch in New York. Um, and so the reason why do we why do we support Israel? Why do I support Israel? Because God said, "I will bless those who bless you, and will curse those who curse you." And it doesn't mean I have to understand it. It just means that okay, I get it. That's this is how God drew it up. And Israel is the apple of his eye. And he will make them holy. He will scatter them if necessary. And he will bring them back when he wants to. And he did this to show the nations who he is. You're seeing it on display, I think, today. Doesn't mean that answers all the questions, but at least it says, maybe helps with some of it. In Psalm chapter 22, I want to read this because I think it's important. This is what, and I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is what it says in Psalm 122. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as decreed from Israel. This is David speaking. I'm going to talk about David today. As was decreed from Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. This is where all of humanity is going to be judged. The valley of Jehoshaphat from Israel, from David's throne. This is a, this is a significant place on the planet. You go there and you get the feel of, wow, Jews claim this and Muslims claim this spot and Christians claim this is a spot where everything comes together. And there's a lot of conflict. And this is what it says in Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I take that one seriously. I think we should take that one seriously. And I would challenge you as a church. I can't challenge you as individuals. I can challenge us as a church to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And if you don't mind, I'd like you to join me in your heart. Father in heaven, our world is in a crazy place, and we are we on the outside looking in, trying to make sense and trying to understand. And I know there's probably a lot of different opinions about what's going on there and why. Just to follow your your path and obey you, Lord, is to the, is to, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I pray for that peace. God, I don't know, sometimes peace takes actions that are really uncomfortable. They're difficult to see and difficult to watch, but I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, I pray for those hostages that are, that are in captivity right now. And I pray for pinpoint accuracy as soldiers are, are moving through that Gaza Strip. So God, I pray. I pray for peace in Jerusalem. I pray for um, I pray for the just minimal loss of life, Lord, in this very, very difficult operation. Lift this to you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Valor. The definition of valor is great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. So it's, valor is different than just courage. I'm, I don't know if you can... Shut my smoke machine off back here, but I'm like, <clears throat> I'm going to gag. Okay, so 
I'll take one more big breath and be hacking away. Um, Valerie is that is is not just courage. Courage is important. Valor is another level. Valor is battle tested. Valor is that courage that stands. I don't believe those SEAL training. This is just the Navy SEALs. They're probably the, the men of valor, acts of valor. You know, those these guys are another level. But I don't believe the SEAL training manufactures valor. This is my opinion. I'll probably have this. I hope there's no SEAL in there because I don't want them to wrap my head, you know, not. But anyway, I don't believe the SEAL training manufactures value. I th valor. I think SEAL training reveals it. Because I think people go in there with that valor. This test reveals who's got the valor in the face of that. Then they're trained and incredibly trained. And I think we need to learn something from that because I think tests, the battles that we deal with, that's, you either got it or you don't, but you don't really know until you're on the battlefield, until you're standing, until you're in the emergency room and having to deal with something that's really broken, a person that's really broken. You'll find out what you're made of. On the battlefield, certainly. In the classroom, yeah. I'm gonna, we've been talking about, and if you didn't hear the, the podcast I did with uh, Nathan Winters this week about uh, the school board and the new proposal, go to there and figure it out. We gave you all the information to go figure it out, what's going on with the vote and all. But it takes courage in the, for these school board members. They're getting all kinds of, they're, they're out there in the battle. It takes, and you find out what you're made of when you're out there. Standing up for Israel. Find out what you're made of. You're going to get some pushback. Standing for Christ. You'll find out what you're made of. You're tested in the battle. Not, and it's not just on the battlefield. There's all kinds of battlefields. And I think whether it's an EMT or, or, or a cancer patient, you don't really know what kind of valor you have until you've gone through those treatments. And I've seen people go through with tremendous valor. It's like, wow. They just clung to Christ in a way that I, I didn't even know they were capable of or humans were possible. Humanly possible. It's a, it's a moving when you see somebody stand with courage in battle. That is valor. It takes courage to stand among your peers. It takes valor to stand firm in battle. I'm going to talk about David today because I think he's a man of valor. He's a man of courage. He's battle tested. No question. That's what he came to mind. But he's battle-tested not only on the battlefield, he was actually battle-tested when he was confronted. And he, he stood in that battle as well. And that's why I want to tell David's story. There's a high point to his story. I'm going to call that Goliath. There's a low point in his story. I'm going to call that Bathsheba. There's a turning point in his story. And I'm going to call that Nathan. Everybody needs a turning point or a chance for a turning point. And when you see that turning point, that's, we'll find out whether you really truly have acts of valor. The high point is Goliath. Everybody kind of knows this story. This is David and Goliath, right? Everybody's got that. Even secular people talk about David and Goliath. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a metaphor that we just know that the little guy beats the big guy. Everybody gets that. What you may not know is the backstory to that. Um, there was a Saul was the king in the land and, and uh, he was not pleasing to the Lord. And so the Lord told Samuel, who was a prophet at that time, go to the house of Jesse. There's a, 
there's a young man there that I'm going to make king. There was several boys he prayed before, and he said, ah, none of them are it. Who's, you got any thing left? Any boys left? He goes, well, there's one. He's a kid. He's out there tending the sheep. He said, get him. Brings him in. And God said, this is the man. And he anoints him with oil as soon as he sees him. As the king of Israel. Now, David didn't go and become king. He went back and herded sheep. He wasn't ready to be king yet, but he was anointed king. God had chosen him king. There's a time, the next little scene happens that Saul gets this, the spirit of God left Saul. And so he had this real dark depressions way I understand or, uh, and translate it. And so they were looking for somebody that could come in and soothe his soul and say, hey, there's this guy. Uh, he's a shepherd boy, Jesse's son, and he's really good at the harp or the lyre or the whatever, and he can sing. And he said, bring him in, and he came in. And and David would would sing these songs or maybe even some of these psalms, that he, many of them that he wrote, and it soothed Saul, and he appreciated him. Now the scene with the Philistines happens a lot. I mean, every every spring of the year, I think, the, the Philistines, not every year, but they would kind of rise up and say, okay, we're going to take this place. And the battle lines were drawn. And in this particular battle line, I actually stood probably, this is very likely the place. It was, uh, it was very convincing. Went to Israel and you stand on this, this long, um, oh, it's kind of a hill, but then it says a sheer cliff. And down to that cliff, it's probably about the distance of a Oh, I don't know, telephone pole, or, or the, probably the distance, just a little bit higher than this. It's, it's the kind of distance that you couldn't just scale quickly, but then if anybody tried to scale it, it would be pretty easy, very defensible. So Israel's up on the high cliff, right? There's this, there's this drop off. And then there's down below, still today, is this, this uh, creek, but it's dry. And there's all these round rocks, about, and they're white. It's the most amazing thing. It's like, why? You don't see this anywhere else in Israel. And here's, anyway, so then across the way, quite a ways, you can kind of see a hillside. It's like, oh, that's, they say this is a very, very likely the place that this took place. Now, what was interesting is that this, this big cliff type hillside actually had a, had a little place kind of at the edge where it could, it kind of tapered off. You could actually drive probably a car. It was enough gradual to get down there. Um, and it wasn't a very big spot, and so very defensible, and you could just see David. Okay, David, he's, he's running back and forth between home and Saul. Saul needs to be soothed. He comes and plays the harp or whatever he does, and he goes back, and he tends the sheep for his dad. And so he's back checking on dad. How's he doing? Getting along, tending the sheep. And he brings uh, some, some food to his brothers who were in the battle or in the, the lineup. They weren't fighting. Philistine would come out and say, taunt him, say, send out a man that can match me and wouldn't. And if, you, if he can defeat me, we will be your servants forever. Okay. Well, David heard this. He was delivering meat and cheese to his brothers. And this is what David said. This, there's a confidence that David had in God and in the power of God that I, I admire. I'm amazed with. I wish we can read about it, but I wish we could somehow capture it. Who is this Philistine? Who is this pagan Philistine who's taunting the living God? And everybody was saying, David, and his brothers especially, David, just go back and tend the sheep. And he just wouldn't let it go. No one's going to taunt the living God like that. 
some of the other guys are saying, hey, this guy's got something. Let's take him to Saul. Maybe maybe Saul has an idea. And he goes before Saul and says, Saul says, you, you're, you're a boy. This guy is a giant. What do you, what do you got? What are you thinking? And he gives him this story. And this story convinced the king that maybe, maybe this kid has something. Maybe we should, maybe we should test him a little bit here. So Saul knew him. He's the guy that came in and soothed the soul. Now he's this, this young warrior. He said, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. That's what he's saying. And he says, king, I've, I've been shepherding my, my dad's flock. And there's a time when the lion would come and grab the sheep. And I would I'd go after that lion and retrieve that sheep. And if he turned on me, I would grab his beard and kill the lion. I, I don't know. That's kind of cool story, right? Who else does that? Also had the bear come and try to take the sheep. I don't know about you, but if I saw a lion come and grab a sheep, I'd say, ah, death loss. That's a percentage loss right there. This is a check. We'll tell the banker, that's, that one died. David didn't do that. He chased down the doggone lion. If he didn't get the lion's, or didn't, if the lion didn't drop it, if he, the lion turned on him, he killed it. And it actually is plural. I just noticed this this morning. It's plural. Lions, bears. <sighs> Saul heard this and said, well, well, at least take this armor. And he tried it on and said, no, nah, I can't, I, that's not how I roll. I, I got a different way than this. This isn't it. He didn't need man's armor. He had God's armor. The, the thing I want you to see about David, his God confidence. God is the one that gave me the power to overcome the lion. God is the one that gave me the power to overcome the bear. And God is the one that's going to help me overcome this pagan Philistine. Let me add it. And it's a coolest story. I wish I could go into it. I will. Okay, so just because I like the story so much, I just like it's so cool. And I can just visualize it. I, we stood there and I can just visualize him kind of just on a hop. I just signed to see him running. The, the Philistine comes out. Who's, and he did this, I think, daily, maybe. He comes out there. Who among you will come out and challenge me and do this? He had this big voice and he's a massive guy, massive voice. I can imagine booming voice. Booming against the, that cliff, which you could probably, it would just ring out. You could hear it throughout. And so you got the, all of Israel watching here. All the Israeli, Israelis, uh, his brothers and all the military and King Saul, they're all up on this ridge. And here's this, I don't know, picture of 7th, 8th grade, ninth grade, young, young boy on a hop, just takes off. Just like he was chasing after the lion and just took a lamb. Nobody is going to insult my God. And this voice booms out again. And he, he, he swoops down and he gets five stones. I've always heard that David probably got five stones because there was probably four guys with the Philistine. He was going to kill them too. But it's an amazing thing that he had armor bearers with him. And David just comes. He, has, he's in the, he was taunted. Why do you come with me with sticks and stones? He just laughed at him. And I don't know, there's the sticks and stones. I wonder if there was something about that sling that had, I always picture just a sling with, you know, just like leather. I wonder if there was even something like he had sticks, maybe has a little bit different um, leverage or whatever, speed of, of attack. I'm not sure exactly, but he said he was sticks and stones. But anyway, we, he came, he picked up that rock, he pulled it out of his pouch as he was trotting to the front of the battle line. 
So this isn't a guy standing at the battle. I want you to notice this. He's not standing there face to face and going to say, okay, well, who's going to punch first? He's on a hop. He got the, the go ahead. Nobody's going to taunt my guy. He trots down. You see it? He's, as he's running, he's reaching his bag. Bam. Bang. Hits the giant right between the eyes as he was, as he was taunting this kid running at him. I can imagine those armor bearers were a little bit stunned. He goes up and he takes this massive sword, removes the head of this giant, thrusts it in the air, and guess what? Everybody got empowered all of a sudden. The Israeli army, or the Israel, uh, they chased him down. They defeated the Philistines all the way back to their, wherever they were. It's almost an amazing story. But the amazing part of it is his trust in God. He was not trusting in his own power, in his own strength. He said, in the, in the story, it's, he completely trusts in God. First Samuel chapter 17. I think we have it up there on the screen. Let's take a look at this real quick. Then David said to the Philistine, you came with sword and spear with javelin, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's a, the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what that means. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into the hand, into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head, and I will give your, the dead bodies of the hosts to the Philistines this day, to the birds of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I would say some confidence, wouldn't you? This guy is confident in what God is going to do through him. I haven't even tapped that kind of confidence before. But it's there for our taking to have this kind of God confidence in battle. I think that's valor. That's another level. That's not just courage. This is valor. This is, this is courage in the battle. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, um, we're, we're encouraged to have this kind of put on the full armor of God. It's like we're not supposed to fight on our own. And I just want you to think about the battles you're fighting today. Are you fighting on your own? On your own intellect? In your own power? In your own way? Or are you, gonna, are you willing to allow God to fight through you? To be strong through you? Not in your own intellect. I'm not smart enough. Not in your own power. I'm not powerful enough. But in the power of Almighty God to stand firm in the face of the battle. That's the challenge. That's the, the challenge we see from the high point of David's life. He trusted in God. And we saw him become king and a conquering king. David, or Saul has slain his thousands. David, his tens of thousands, the women would chant. Because he had learned how to trust in the power of the living God. The Spirit was on David. The Spirit had left Saul. Don't miss the, comp the, the uh, comparison of those two. But now, now there's David at his low point. And I think maybe the high point sometimes is, is akin to the low point. And you think the low point, I said Bathsheba, but what it really meant was 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Let's take a look at that. If you have it, in your, you can turn to it. 
2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rahab, but David remained at Jerusalem. You see, I don't, the first mistake David made is that at the time when kings go out to battle, he was, there's always something, always something that rose up and they always had to go push him back. This time it wasn't the Philistines, it was the Amorites. There's Amorites and there's Hittites and there's all kinds of ites, termites. Every time, there's always something that we're having to battle. And at the time when kings go out to battle, what did David do? He stayed home. Unfortunately, I think this was intentional. Is there, they've just, they've kind of uncovered um, the city of David. I would say in the last 15 years. We were there, I don't know, it's been a few years ago now, four, three or four. And it stood in this place where they say they really believe this is where David's house was, and they think this is very likely the place where he would overlook. And because below him, and it wasn't that far, guys, it was like me to the first row, right? That's that's the first row of of. of houses, if you will. And this is his generals. They would, down this hillside, you know, here's him at the top, and down the hill right here, this level would be his generals, and the next level, some other military. Next, It would be, it's a very defensible place, this city of David, on both sides. It's a very strategic, very defensible. And so for him, when he didn't go out to battle, and he stayed home, and he sent all of his guys, all those men, and the women were left behind. I don't know. I'm having to fill in a lot of blanks here, but I don't think it was. Once you stand there and you go, oh, my gosh. And Uriah the Hittite was, he was kind of high up. He would have been possibly in that first row. If he was in that first row of houses, he and Uriah could have had a, easily had a con conversation. It was that close. The bath, Bathsheba, bathing, it was close. I will never know for sure, but I have a feeling that he stayed behind and he knew possibly why he was staying behind. I don't know. We only speculate. We do know that he calls for her. She's beautiful. They were together. She got pregnant. She told him. He sent word to Uriah. Sent him, that's a husband. Sent for Uriah. Come back home. Ask Uriah to hopefully that he would spend time with his, his wife and then he would think that baby, that pregnancy was his. He slept outside. Talk about, I don't know if this is valor or not, but there's some kind of integrity that Uriah has that just, he was not going to go be with his wife while he was home being called back because he didn't know why he was called off the battlefield while his guys were out there fighting the Amorites. Nope, sleeping outside the door. Made sure everybody knew that's where he was sleeping. So the next night, David said, well, maybe, maybe I'll, we'll have dinner and some wine, and maybe that'll change his perspective a little bit. Nope. He slept outside the door. Next morning, David's only thought is, well, I've got I've to take care of this. got to take care of this problem. Writes on this piece of paper, rolls it up, puts a seal on it, gives it to Uriah. And it says death warrant. And it basically said when, they, when he got to the battlefield, could you imagine these guys reading this? 
from David. They probably read it two or three times. It's like, wow, this we're supposed to take you right to the front of the battle and back away from him, make sure he dies. Uriah delivered his own death warrant, cleared the battlefield. Yeah, that, that's how much integrity this guy has. Time, some time passes. Now, I would say, wouldn't you say this is a low point? I don't think he's trusting in God right now. Now, he's full on flesh. He's full on just listening to his body. He's not that warrior, that valiant warrior that is slain tens of thousands by the power of God. Right now, he's full on power of David. A few months later, in walks this guy named Nathan, prophet. I would imagine they knew each other. I would imagine there were some greetings. Now, remember, you go before a king, and the king doesn't like what you have to say. He could, off with your head, you could be, you're done. Whatever. I mean, David has the power to do whatever, whatever the king says, that's going to happen. And that's kind of true in all uh, monarchies that have that kind of power. You had to be really careful what you said before the king. Nathan walks right in, in front of the king. Maybe they exchanged some pleasantries. According to the scripture, it doesn't really show us. But Nathan stands there and says, tells him the story. Uh, time to tell you the story. The story basically says, listen, king, there's a, there's a man that had one lamb, and there's another man that had a whole flock. And the one that had the whole flock killed the, the man with the lamb that had one lamb, and he was distraught. And David said, who is this man? He should, he should die. Nathan, you talk about valor. You talk about courage in the midst of power. He says, you are that man. Now, there's a lot of valor that happens here, because what could have very easily happened is that David could have said, off with your head. But David repents. David publicly repents. I'm going to read what he actually said. And Psalm 51 is what's captured. And every scholars believe that this is David's lament of his, um, of his sin before God. And I would just want to read just a little bit of this. Psalm 51 is uh, the Psalm of David when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone into Be to uh, to be with Bathsheba. And so it's, that's in the, written in the heading of the Bible. And so it's, this is like proclaiming, this is what David's heart was. So to me, this is that internal valor. I just want you to try to uh, notch how many times in your mind have you heard a political leader being confronted about something that they pretty much everybody knows that they did. And they said, yeah, I did that. That's me. I'm sorry. Honestly, I can't think of one. If you can think of one, you can tell me later. Not now. Seriously, everybody is finger pointing. It's not me. I didn't do that. The spin, this, that, the other. It's like nobody takes responsibility for anything ever. And I want you to look at what David does here. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, and my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret um, in the secret heart. It, David is repenting to the bottom of his toes publicly before us all. I'm that guy. I did it. And I am sorry. And I'm sickened by it. Have you ever, ever been sickened and publicly sickened by sin? By your sin? To me, this takes a lot of... Not, it's another level. It's not just courage. To me, this is, this is valor. This is courage in the face of battle against his, this uh, word from Nathan. And he fully embraces it. He says, I am that guy, and I messed up. David did suffer consequences the rest of his life. Nathan said, the sword will never leave your house, and it didn't. There's always somebody being killed in his household, a family member, a daughter, a son. It never left his house. David was a man of war, a man of bloodshed. He never got to build the temple. That was Solomon that built the temple. So there was consequences, I think, that, that happened. But I, I want you to see the valor it took to be at his high point. When he was a kid, man, that valor, he was not afraid because God had saved him, from the, uh, helped him uh, slay the lion and the bear. He's going to help him slay this Philistine. Valor. Big high point. Low point. When he started trusting completely in himself, when the kings ought to go out to battle and he didn't, that, that's telling you something right there. David should have been doing what kings do, and he wasn't. And he might have even known that he wasn't. He might have even known, had a plan. I don't know that for sure. Makes me wonder. Kings ought to go out to battle. Be with the guys. Do what the guys do. Defending the, the perimeter. Not a lot of valor there. He started trusting in his own feelings, his own thoughts. Maybe he was just a little bit big-headed about his own accomplishments. That's when, that's when it sneaks in. When you're really full of yourself, that's when it sneaks in. And he hit a low point. There's another piece of valor that I want you to see, and that's the turning point. When he was confronted, he didn't go after the guy that confronted him. He didn't shoot the messenger. That would be Nathan. He looked inside of himself and he said, I am that guy. And against God and God alone have I sinned. And he made it public. I'm going to give him the big V on that one, Valor. Because I just haven't seen that. Very rarely do you see that. I was encouraged uh, recently. We got to go to New York and we met a guy that you'll know. We got a little video of him. And it's kind of interesting. to t and When he tells his story, it's like, you know, just to be able to admit there's a turning point here in his, in his life that I think was really crucial. It happened when he was 17 years old. I think you might recognize our hometown hero. Take a look at this. 
one of the stories that, you know, I have of like, well, it really gave me an idea of like how fragile this world is um, and how fragile like this sports world is. I was getting a lot of pro ball attention. Um, I was very good at, at most sports. I was a captain on the football team. I was getting recruited by every college. Um, things were going really, really well, you know, and I, my head had gotten really, really big. Um, and I had gotten really confident in myself and my abilities. And then God really gave me exactly what I needed at that time. I wish, I wish I wouldn't have needed it, but, <laughs> but I, it was, it was exactly what I needed. And the fact that, um, I, I tore my ACL, my, my junior year of, of high school, um, yeah, I helmet through the knee and it popped and I, I heard it. And I really do remember thinking on the way down to the ground, I really did it. Like I really, I really hurt myself, I really tore my ACL. When that happened, it led me uh, to into doing the truth project because I had so much time on my hands to rehab in school. And so I ended up going to the truth project with my, with my family and it rekindled in me this fire and for, for the faith and for Jesus. And like, it just really strengthened my, my relationship with God, but it gave me the perspective of how fast this all can be taken away. Like baseball is not where, and, and sports in general is not where I should put my identity because if that, that's where I put my identity, it can be taken away in an instant. But if I put my faith in Jesus, then I can have a relationship with him for my whole life and trust in him with my whole life and then the eternal life afterward. Fortunately, I, I got to experience that when I was 17, 18 years old, how we shouldn't put all of our hope and stock in that and that we should you know, live our lives for, for Jesus and putting God first. You should always do everything that you do to the glory of God. So when you go and, and, and God has put you in a place and open doors, you should work as hard as you possibly can to, to get that done. Um, but never forget what is first and foremost in your life. And that is the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus and you have a relationship with God. And that's going to carry you through so many more trials than just being successful for a few moments in sports. Brandon Nemo here. Just uh, wanted to thank you guys for the support that I felt from you through this whole journey. Um, just wanted to ask if you just keep praying for me in this uh, in this arena that I'm in, that uh, I would continue to be a light of, of God's love and uh, uh, showing others uh, what, what God is all about. Just thank you for the support. Thank you. I wouldn't be here without um, the support of you guys in my youth and, and growing up in this in this church. And uh, um, just keep living for the Lord. Pretty cool. Yeah, good man. That's good. So one of the things that I, I was and I was complimenting him, we went to the game and, you know, he has that walk up song. That's a real it's it's by Kane. Those of you that know, it's that I'm so blessed. Hallelujah. I'm blessed. I'm the best day I'm a child of God. My worst day I'm a child of God blurring out there in the Mets, you know, field and then city field. And, and it was so cool that one that we were there that day we were there. There was a timeout that happened while he was coming up to bat. So that song almost played a half of that song just blurring through the speakers. Like, this is really cool. This is just getting deep into the song. And it's like, there's no question about what this is talking about. And we talked about that later. And I told him, I said, Brandon, that it's just amazing that you make it such a big deal to glorify God on this, in this arena. I just, I'm amazed way to go. And I could tell that that compliment meant a lot to him. It's like, 
it's important for people to stand with you. And I, I know that feeling myself. I've stood up for different things, innocence of children and uh, um, Israel and some of those. And people, it's not that it's going to change my mind, but when people come up and say, yeah, hey, I'm with you, that, that support means more than you know. I've told you to go to our website and listen to a, a podcast about what's the school board's bringing down something to put power back into the hands of the, the parents. You need to see it. And, and you need to tell them, hey, just want you to know we support you. The church needs to show up on some of these things. It doesn't take a lot of valor. It takes just a little bit of valor just to put your name on something and say, hey, I, I agree with this. We got to get better at that. We don't do that enough. If you believe in something, tell somebody, hey, you're standing for us. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing. That, that, it means more than you can ever know. Well, valor. It's courage, not just courage. There's courage in the battle. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous. Thank you.